Hey, Live from AC Second listeners, this is Sam Mulberry with our summer podcast series. This series is based on my spring 2018 sabbatical project in which I interviewed 15 faculty who won the Bethel University Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching. As part of this project, I created long-form video interviews with these people to talk about the art and craft of teaching, to talk about how they became teachers, how they think about teaching, how they think about education and interacting with students. So I want to share these full interviews with you throughout the course of this summer. If you're interested in watching these interviews, you can go to cwcradio.wordpress.com and look under the teaching project. If you want to watch the feature-length documentary, Why We Teach, which is based on this interview series, you can also find that at cwcradio.wordpress.com. We'll be dropping interviews from this series onto the podcast feed throughout this summer. Our interview today is with Nancy Bruley, the Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching winner from 2011. I'm Nancy Burley. I teach in the Communication Studies Department, and I've been at Bethel since 2004. I pretty much fell into teaching. I was in the ministry for many, many years, and I found myself working up through the children's ministry into the adolescent ministry, into the family ministry, and I found that more and more that my skills in communication, um, I, I went from my undergrad into communication, and I found that those skills were helping me be effective at the ministry. And as I got older through the years in the ministry, meaning the age groups got older as I was teaching it, it never dawned on me that teaching was where I would I would end up. I, I kind of fell into it, but I found myself doing more and more teaching at the church level. And then I finished my undergrad. I, I kind of had a backward story. I finished my undergrad at 38 years old, transferred to Mankato when my husband needed to get a job down here. I was a broadcast journalist major, and when I moved to Mankato down in this area, they didn't have broadcast journalism. So then I ended up into communication studies or human communication, which is where my giftings were with the ministry anyway. So it all kind of worked out. I was walking out one day, and uh, my advisor yelled down the hall after I had graduated. I was 38 years old. He yelled down the hall and said, hey, Nancy, you thought about a master's degree? And I was like, nope, never considered it. (laughs) And so he says, we have one assistantship available, and if you would like it, uh, we'll offer it to you. And really that's where my foot in the door into teaching began because as we know with assistantships, you work in a classroom and you teach. And I found myself teaching much of the same types of things I was teaching at, in the ministry. I fell in love with it. Never dawned on me that. I had always wanted to train future leaders. I had always wanted to train people who would impact our world for Christ in leadership situations. And so therefore, when I fell into teaching, I found myself working with an age group where I actually had an impact on where they were going, whether they would go to grad school, how they thought about life, you know, critically think, and pretty much that's how I fell into teaching. And so walked away from there, decided to get, uh, then got a job for two years between my master's and my PhD. My kids were all grown up at that time, and then um, taught at Northern Michigan University for two years, loved it and couldn't get a permanent position until I had a PhD, went back, got my PhD, and then ended up uh, teaching at Wheaton, and then three years later ended up at Bethel. So it wasn't anything I had planned, but it was just something that when you're doing it, you knew you were doing what you were supposed to do. I was passionate about it. Um, I was successful at it. Uh, Students seemed to be having, you know, life and a life impact on students, and that's what really mattered to me. It was another, it was an extension of my ministry is what I felt. I think a big crossover is being able to empower students or people's lives. That, to me, that's a huge crossover. 
Um, you know, that, that scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oftentimes it'll be on my syllabus and I remind them of that, you know. Um, but I also, um, the other thing that crosses over is that in the ministry, you expect to be, uh, touch people's lives and to help people and to help them grow and to mentor and to counsel. I find I do the exact same thing as a, as a professor. I'm doing the, uh, they're sitting down, I'm counseling. I have a box of Kleenexes in my office. Um, I have an open door policy. And so when pe students come to me, I, or when I have them in a class, I view that as God has put them there for a reason. And for some reason they're in this class. And whether that's gonna, and, and for some reason God wants you to impact their lives. I just, I have a huge belief that nobody's in my class by chance, even if they need it for a credit, they're still not there by chance. And I think that's where the impact, if God brings into their lives, I treat them as if they're a ministry, if that makes sense. Um, so there's a lot of crossover there. I think back to chemistry um, in high school. And I had a teacher, Mr. Lundin. I actually, many years later, wrote him this letter. And I was failing chemistry, surprise, surprise, for a calm person not to do well in science. But it was so interesting because Mr. Lundin set up a time after school with me and tutored me and he I was I just couldn't get chemistry and he spent hours with me teaching me how to do chemistry and I remember it wasn't so much the grade I walked away with or whatever but he empowered me to to have this recognition that it didn't matter what I knew or didn't know what I was good at or wasn't good at is that if I worked hard enough if I was willing to open my mind and try something that scared me is that I could accomplish anything. And I can't tell you how much Mr. Lundin changed my life because regardless of what I did down the road, I often think back and I'd get afraid to do it or to try it. I think this is way out of my comfort zone. He, I remember Mr. Lundin very patiently sitting with me after school in chemistry as a junior in high school saying, Nancy, if you work hard enough, you can learn this. If you work hard enough, you can do this. I will help you. And that had just a profound effect on me. And I often find myself telling my own students that don't be afraid, like especially with methods, don't be afraid. I'm here for you. If we have to sit in my office, we'll do it. You can do this. This You can do whatever you put your mind to. And Mr. Lane had a profound effect on me. Right out of the gate, I was very good at relationships with students. Um, that came naturally to me, I think, because I viewed it as a ministry. And uh, so developing those relationships, uh, people, students often felt like they knew me much better than I knew them because in classes I would teach always with example. I would, everything that I taught, I always would use real life examples. And the fact that I was a little bit older as a teacher, you know, I was in my 40s when I really started teaching and I had a lot to bring to it. I had been in the ministry for years, I had raised my own children, I had a family, you know, I had ups and downs in my own marriage. And not being afraid to address those things, students felt a really big connection with me and I just would simply be applying theories. Uh, some of the, one of the things though is that we would get uh, that I had to learn how to do though was the structure on the syllabus. The syllabus has always been a big challenge for me because one, I always want to do way too much. Two, I expect that if we, I can't do it in the classroom, I still expect the students to do it you know, <laughs> outside of the classroom. But I, I've had to really cut, learn how to realistically plan what can a student handle outside the classroom what can they handle in i have to quit changing my syllabus and i still struggle with that today but it's nothing what it used to be i used to sometimes have you know four or five versions of one syllabus by the time i was done with the semester and we all know that students do not like that so now um, other than methods class which is a little bit of a different type of class that you teach everything else is i'm on a syllabus and i found ways to cut i found ways to um 
be respect respectful and realistic of students' times and what they can and can't do. And just because I want to teach them everything about relationships doesn't mean they need to know everything about relationships. So um, learning how to structure it in with the syllabus has been, uh, has been good for me, it's been good for them, and that's been the biggest challenge I've had. I wasn't afraid to get online and watch videos. I went to a lot of curriculum development type classes or faculty development type classes um, in areas I need. I also sometimes would uh, sit down and talk with people, that, uh, teachers that I really respected, that I thought were being very successful at what they were doing. I'm like, how do I do this? Here's my problem I'm having. How do I fix this? And getting some feedback in on the areas that I knew I needed help on. I'm, uh, one of the things I think a lot of faculty are kind of afraid like to look at their evals. I'm never afraid of my evals and I'm, because, I mean, they make me feel bad, don't get me wrong, <laughs> sometimes, one comment here or there. But I also know that that's where I know where my weaknesses are. And so what I will often do is halfway through a semester put out an evaluation to my class and say, what's two things I can improve, what's two things you like, just to balance it out a little bit. And then I'll adjust my class that semester and then also the end of the semester evals I always look at them because usually if two or three students are saying something usually that's a problem and then I will say okay how do I fix this next time I don't know what I'm doing sometimes until somebody tells me what I'm doing so one I'll seek help out but two I will listen I listen to the students if they have a problem I'm like how do I fix that or at least change their perception you know some things like you work us too hard or this class is too hard I don't worry about those types of things but you always change the syllabus, I don't get feedback the way I need it, or you know, those. if two or three students are saying it, I feel like I've missed something and I need to fix it. I, I remember the first time I taught a family comm class, I didn't, you know, I, had, I was at a master's level, and so I, I have gone from being a surface level teacher, by surface meaning, you know, this deep, to being a iceberg level, I mean deep level teacher. So I know I noticed the depth of my teaching has gotten richer as I've gotten older. I think as I've gotten older and more confident as a teacher, I'm not afraid to challenge students in ways that might be uncomfortable. When you're younger as a teacher, you, you hesitate a little bit maybe, you're worrying about, you know, do I, am I gonna get tenure, some of those types of things, or even you're afraid to ask the hard questions sometimes. As you get older, I, I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions. I'm not afraid to call to call students out. Obviously, in a you know in a gentle and respectful way, but to say you know you can't just say that. Why do you say that? And why do you think that? I remember one of my students. Uh, I made it was a persuasion class, and I said to them, I said, um, I want you to be able to using persuasive strategies or whatever. I want you to defend your faith. And it was one of the hardest uh, uh, one of my hardest assignment I had given, and because students had never really thought. How do I, why do I believe what I believe and how do I defend my faith? And this one student said to me, he said, um, I don't know why I need to know this as long as I believe. And I'm like, well, there's value in that, but, and then to really challenge him, um, you know, one, you're challenging, like, how did you acquire that belief? Is it something you read? Is it something that God spoke to you about? Or is it something your pastor told you or your parents? I mean, why do you believe it? And he had never really questioned that before. And, you know, very, very little, often we don't challenge students I think sometimes in their opinions because we're afraid of the kickback we, we might get. And as I get older, I'm not afraid to challenge, but I'm also very open to their responses. I never make anyone feel that just because I may not agree with their responses or whatever. Everybody in my mind is entitled to their belief as long as you understand why you believe it. If it's an educated opinion, an educated belief, then more power to you. Kathy Nevins I have, has been a real inspiration to me. I, I like where she's at in her career. I see, I see she's been teaching a lot longer than I have teaching, but I see 
I know she challenges people. I, I hear some of my students come back and talk to me about what it means to be a woman, you know, what it means to be a Christian woman, um, some of those types of things. And I really like, I, I trace a lot of that. Her, her classes have really challenged students that I've encountered. And so I really like how they think and they'll come and talk to me about it. And I, that's the kind of teacher I really want to be. I don't really view myself much different at a Christian liberal arts institution than I did when I taught in the secular universities. Reason being is because I taught, the, I taught a lot the same way. People, all, I, I was very vocal about my faith at the University of Nebraska. I was very vocal about my faith at Northern Michigan University, and I brought it into the classroom. And I never had a problem with that. So I always used to, when people say, oh, you can't do this in the secular, and you can't do this in the Christian, um, I never really, I, that never really impacted how I taught. I find I have more of a responsibility in the Christian liberal arts institution to really make sure that our Christian students are educated Christians because I think I have a, I have a response. I want to, I have been called to train future leaders, future servants, people who are going to imp, future lights the world, people who are going to impact the world. And so at a Christian liberal arts university, I know I can take that a whole different step as far as challenging them in their faith, under, making sure that they're educated and understanding or helping them understand why is it important that I can have a liberal arts education and critically think about things. And why as a Christian, I need to be able to do that. Um, at the secular university, oftentimes it was more of, uh, I was a witness, I'm, I'm ministering to them, I'm hoping they'll come ask me questions afterwards, and many did. But here it's like, I, I know that all of our students aren't, aren't Christians, or they're at a different level of their faith. At this university, I have, the, I have the ability to help them grow in their faith, become that Christian that God's calling them to be, and then meet that calling that God gave me to train future leaders in Christ. So I think that's the, the challenge and the blessing of teaching at a, liberal, a Christian liberal arts university. Faith in a, a calm class looks like, I wanna, call, I wanna say real life. Um, faith means that uh, for people to understand their faith and the role of their Christian faith, um, the way I teach is that, you know what, if one, you need to know who you are in Christ and you need to understand that we never get there, that we're constantly growing. And the more you learn about how to be a, an effective interpersonal communicator or a competent interpersonal communicator, the more you're going to find that you will be challenged in your own faith as far as what Christ expects for you in that interaction with others. The other, in addition to that, and another, uh, another step on that is, is I also believe that I'm, I'm, I'm calling these students to understand that if you're gonna be working with people as a Christian, they're not gonna have perfect lives. So how do you not judge them? How do you show faith and love and what I call love people into the kingdom? It's too easy to judge people. How do you love them into the kingdom based on some of these interpersonal principles, whether it's abusive relationships, whether it's persuasive, the ethics of persuasion, whether it's, uh, you know, um, positive language or destructive language, some of these types of things. I always, I always say as a Christian, you know, God calls you now, once you learn this, to be, have a higher communication skills. He calls you to be kind in what you speak. He call, you can't just say, oh, that's just me being angry. Now that you know this, God's calling you to a higher standard because now you're aware of your destructive language versus, well, I didn't know I was being destructive. So I, the faith in the classroom, the better you get as a communicator, then the more and the higher level of expectation I believe that God has for you in ministering to others and in winning others to Christ. And that becomes very evident in our classroom discussions. 
I think, um, especially with relational communication, we talk about, you know, from the very beginning, who are you, and then all the way to um, being in relationships and building up or tearing down relationships and, you know, what we're called to do with that. And just saying, you know what, this is real. And, you know, you can be the best Christian in the world and you might end up with a divorce. And so how as a Christian are you going to minister to others like that? How are you going to deal with it without saying I failed and, you know, stuff happens? And, and so... I bring real life into our, my classroom all the time through stories and examples and, and through challenging. I mean, students, I don't back away from things in our classroom, topics in our, in our classroom. And then it's always like, as a Christian or for someone who would have, be called to witness, how do we now respond in a higher, in a higher manner? They walk out of my relational comm classes knowing that they had the responsibility for the relationships they create for either bringing people to Christ or for pushing people away from Christ. And I think they need to be aware that our words do that. We live in communication. We are human beings, our communication. You should study calm because it's gonna, you're gonna use it in every area of your life, whether it's professional communication, whether it's relational communication, whether it's intra-personal communication, meaning how you think about yourself, how you relate about yourself. Um, there's not anything you learn in calm that you will not use critical critical thinking, applying it critically, um, research methods in calm. You're going to use that in every job you ever have, uh, running statistics, doing surveys, interviewing people, all of it. So everything, we have a very applied degree. We have a very theoretical degree, and the two go like that all the time. The reason it's important for students at Bethel to study humanities, especially from a Christian perspective, is so that they understand where we've come from how we have created the meaning we have in our culture and our society. The humanities are what contributes to that. Um, the beautiful and the ugly um, that God has created comes through the humanities, the exposure to humanities. Um, to be a complete person, I think, is a very important to understand the humanities. You can't just be one. We all have a depth of, of appreciation for beauty or a lack of appreciation for beauty. You can't appreciate or know or understand something until you've been exposed to something. And so I think that becomes very important um, with the humanities. I think it's important that students study the fine arts is because again, we live in a culture that one, values the fine arts. And with contemporary culture and with the cultural, when you see something on the film, being able to understand how that story represents where our culture is at or where it is going becomes very important. A saying that uh, one of our professors, Dr. Artie Terry, always says is that you can't minister to a culture until you understand it. And I think you are able to do that through understand them through film, through the stories that are told, through the fine arts, through what we're seeing. You know, some people even question, is that art? You know, even asking why are you questioning whether that's art or not? comes into play as well. I often think is that the sciences, especially the natural science, are it's about all of God's kingdom. And I think that being able to understand the natural sciences really exposes you to all of God's kingdom, not just, you know, one little narrow aspect of it. To appreciate the trees and the water and the pure water and um, the impact of global warming and how that's going to impact our future generations. I think that's so important to understand. If they don't understand it, many times people, it's too easy, again, to dismiss it and say, oh, it's not happening. But to understand that how we live in our environment has an impact on our environment. That's why, in my mind, it's important to understand the sciences. I believe teaching is, first of all, a calling. And then second of all, I believe it's a craft that you develop. Some people are natural teachers, and some people have to work hard to become good teachers. But I think you could be a natural teacher called to teach, 
but unless you learn the pedagogy of it, the craft of it, you're not going to ever be as good as you possibly could be. So to say it's one or the other, I don't think you can do that. I do believe it's a calling that you have that passion to do it. And again, some people are naturally gifted at teaching, um, but it's like learning how to sing. You may be a natural singer, but it's that 10 years of voice lessons that's going to make you exceptional. Being a teacher in the classroom is like being the captain of a ship. Okay, if the ship is going to sink, you know, and the crew's going to rebel, whatever, it's all going to come back and reflect on that teacher. And you know what? If I am the captain of my classroom, then I need to be able to take responsibility for the direction my classroom goes. And that's, uh, sometimes that's not a real popular approach because I, I, I always hear uh, teachers complaining so much, oh, I have this lousy class, or these students are driving me crazy. And my response always is, well, what can you do to fix it? As, you know, as the captain of the ship, that's my metaphor, as the captain of a ship, I'm responsible for whether that ship sails or whether it sinks. My favorite class to teach is interpersonal communication because one, it's so real, it teaches skills, it teaches theories, and has had a huge impact on students' lives and their future relationships. My second favorite class to teach is Methods of Communication, which is probably the hardest class to teach. Nobody wants to take it. It's a very, very tough class, but seeing students, when they start the class, not thinking they can do it, and then seeing them come out, giving their presentation, or having their paper accepted at a competitive conference, and saying, I can't believe I did this. And they have this whole sense of accomplishment and pride. And oftentimes students will tear up when they give their presentation. They're like, and they'll stop and they're going like, I can't believe how I feel about what I've accomplished. And so that for me is the toughest class to teach, but that for me is just the moment. I think one of the things that's unique to communication is we are able to make it real to students because it's such a real experience. We, again, we, as human beings, I mean, many theorists say this, as human beings, we live in communication. We are storytellers. That's, that's the essence of our being. So, one of the, so communication is unique in the sense that when students get in our classes, many times they don't even, don't even feel like they're in a class. You take relational communication or interpersonal communication, for example. Um, we're talking about things they're so intrigued by, things that they're so excited about, learning how to be a better person in a relationship, how to date, how to you know, uh, have a positive relationship, that they'll be done in a class sometimes and they'll still be sitting there and I'll go, okay, it's time to go. You know? And they're like, oh, well, we're not ready to go. Um, so it, it's so real to them that many times they don't feel like they're in a class and sometimes they'll even forget to be taking notes because they're like they're so en engrossed in what's going on. Um, the downside of that is many times students, it, it's so intuitive, communication is so intuitive that students will feel like the class, they'll get good grades in the class just because they're so engaged in it. And so oftentimes we get challenged in our discipline about the rigor even though we have a very rigorous program and rigorous classes, it's kind of funny sometimes because the, the reason that I think students think that this class wasn't hard is because it's so interesting to them. And so when you look at, and then we get other students in our classes who aren't calm people, they, they struggle through our classes and they'll drop like, this is too hard, or I don't want to do this. So for students taking the classes who are majors, they are really engaged with the class, which I think, all of our classes, which I think, one, helps our department and helps the students and they enjoy it, but on the other side of it sometimes, for other students, they're like, it is like they're fish out of water. And so it really has to do with where they're called and where they live, I think. So when students come into my classroom, um, pretty much the first day I establish what I expect from them, and that I expect them, one, that they will come to class prepared, two, that they will have their assignments done in time and at a level 
of probably at a higher level than they're used to working. I believe, and I let them know, I believe a C is average. I expect everyone in this class to get a C. So if you want to get higher than a C, you're going to have to work to get higher than a C. So I set those expectations out pretty clearly at the beginning. I expect attendance, that they will come and attend, that they will be respectful in the classroom. I also tell students that that there is no censorship in the class, that I don't care what their opinion is or what other people's opinions are. One, you have the freedom to express the opinion. Two, is that we will respect everybody's opinions. We'll have a civil discussion. So nothing's off limits. Uh, and then I have that whatever happens in the classroom stays in the classroom, <laughs> kind of one of those biggest experiences, because then that gives students the freedom to be able to express themselves. And then I also set that up as that, just as I expect them to have things on time, be prepared for class, be engaged in class, put their energy and their passion into class, that I will bring that to every class as well. If you turn something in on Tuesday, I'll have it back to you graded by Thursday. If you, if, um, if, you, if I expect you to write a certain way, I'm gonna read every word of that and I will spend time editing it and giving you back. As my students call it, papers that bleed, some of those types of responses to it. So I, I expect them, if you are in my class, I expect you to engage in the class. And if now's not the time for you to engage in it, then you need to maybe take it at a different time um, when you have the opportunity to engage it. My role with relationships with students in my classroom is I would assume that I will develop a relationship with that student. I understand that I can't be the student's best friends in the classroom. I don't want to be their best friends. Um, but there will be, one, there will be certain students who will really, we will connect and down the road, those will be relationships we have years to come. But while you're in my classroom, at that point, I am there for you, and I think that's the time between teaching and the ministry, is that during this semester, you have me. And if you need me for anything, regardless of what level that's at, I'm there for you. And I think students know that, and it's just pretty evident that they know that. Because oftentimes, you know, they'll show up with problems that don't even relate to anything, or maybe for additional advising, even though I'm not their advisor, they'll say, hey, what do you think about this? Or, I don't know what to do with my life, you know, what can you do? And so. I'm, I'm there for them during that time period. The other thing is that once you leave my class, my relationship, and I tell my students this, is that even though you leave, um, if you ever need anything down the road, I'm still always here for you. Obviously, it's at a different level than it can be when I have 80 students in a semester. I can't be here for 900 of you. But they know that when they need me and if they need me, that I'm there. And once we've developed this, once you've been my student, I feel like I'm in your life, regardless of what that looks like five years down the road, 10 years down the road. In order to prepare for a class session, if it's a class I've taught before, usually what I do in order to keep my classes up to date and engaging, things like that, obviously, um, I'll sit down, I plan a week, at, a week at a time. So on Monday, if I teach Tuesdays and Thursdays, on Mondays I will plan my class for the whole week so that I don't have to worry about being prepped throughout that week. I don't want to have to worry about, do I have this worksheet? Do I have this done? Do I have that done? I make sure I'm prepped. I go through my PowerPoints and make sure, real quickly, to make sure they're in line. I have my notes organized so that when I go into teach, my teaching really is about where are the students at and then I don't have to think about, are my PowerPoints lined up? Do I have this and that? I can really be there in the moment for the students. And so that's what I do on Mondays. And then on by Friday of that week, the last thing I do then is open up my next week so students who want to work ahead. So that's my schedule of what my class looks like. Um, the other thing I do is I'll, oftentimes we'll come across clips during the week or news things or things that are relevant. Those are the things then that I will uh, make special copies of or, or 
insert into a lecture that hadn't been planned just to stay relevant um, or if something's happening in the news you know we'll bring it up as it relates to theory or if we're relating to a concept I try to stay current with my examples and things such as that um, so I like to I like to keep it 100% current but realistically though you know some theories never change so how does that look but it's all about being prepped at the beginning so you can engage in the middle and then get them ready for the next week so that's kind of my process instrumental process as I as I teach so I have noticed a big change in students over the course of my career and it makes me question whether I'm getting old <laughs> and or, and losing my patience or if there is there really a change in students I'm, I'm sensing a lot more entitlement I don't mean that in a negative way but I sense that students expect us to accommodate them much more than students accommodate us and sometimes I know that causes a little bit of a tension between me and my students. You know, um, when students say to me, well, I don't understand the syllabus, that really irritates me because I know this is a good syllabus at this point. You know, I've taught this class numerous times. I know it makes sense. Um, so therefore, my question to them often is, well, what don't you understand? And well, and then they can't tell me what they don't understand. And what I'm really hearing them say is, I want you to tell me every day what's due, where it's due. And I don't do that. I I put assignments on the syllabus. I give them about two, a week and a half to two weeks at the closest ahead of time. There's no excuse for not having the work done. So for you not to know what's going on, um, that has become more tension than it used to be. Students have, don't have an idea that they should work ahead. They feel like they should do it the night before. If there's too much work the night before, then they shouldn't have to do it. And that's a big change I, found, I have found in students. A lot more of blaming the teacher than it used to be if they don't understand something it's always it has become more my fault and I haven't changed my teaching so it makes me think the te the students probably have changed I give very clear instructions on um, all of my I give the grading criteria out I give the guidelines out well ahead of time I do it in print we go over it in class and then when students are still are like I don't understand or you didn't make this very clear um, it's the you don't make it very clear. It's okay if they don't understand, I'll explain it to them, but if it's you don't make this very clear, I find that really troublesome to me and I, I'm hearing that more and more. The other thing I'm hearing from students more and more is they'll go and they'll get coalitions within the classroom about some of us students were talking. And for me, that again, that's something that really sets me a little bit on edge because if you have a problem, and I tell my students this, if you have a problem, you need to come to me. Let's not gang up on the teacher because usually that's not, productive for anybody involved. So those are some of the changes I've seen the last three years probably that I never used to encounter in teaching. I would hope that former students said she made a difference in my life. I would hope they would say she, I'm where I'm at today because she believed in me. That's really important to me. My advice for a new teacher would be is learn the craft of teaching. Um, Ask a lot of questions of established teachers and get help. That would be very important for new teachers to do. And realize that teaching is a process, that you learn how to become better at it. So if you get one bad class where you're not, or haven't done well in a class, you get a bad eval, that's simply an opportunity to learn. And most things in teaching that go wrong in the classroom can be fixed. And I think sometimes new teachers think, oh, it's over with. But usually even midway through a semester or something's happening in the classroom, take time, okay, ask somebody, how do I fix this? One, for the class I'm in right now, but two, in future classes. I believe that whatever's not going right in the class, it can be fixed. You just have to be aware of it. 
don't just don't just soldier on you know make a change before the semester's over my advice for students would be don't be afraid to try things you haven't tried in a class don't be afraid to work harder than you've ever worked and don't be afraid to go to your teacher and say get to know them so that they can invest in your life don't be afraid to talk to the teacher because oftentimes a lot of problems you're having can be overcome simply by connecting with the teacher. I think the advice that I have for Bethel is to realize, to take more time to realize that that B student or that C student that comes to us is not going to stay that B or C student because of the quality of professors that we have here and they, as they invest in them. There are a lot of students that come who are B or C students who, to tell you the truth, would probably not make it at another university. They're here for a reason. And because of the quality of the faculty we have here at Bethel, one of the things I love about Bethel is the quality of our faculty. Because of the quality of our faculty at Bethel, we're going to be able to really change these students' lives. And these students who come to us are going to go on to excel and be amazing and we need to invest in them in that mind in that mindset don't be afraid to offer the small classes with the, the teach small teacher student ratio don't be afraid to offer classes that deal with very difficult situations i mean i remember like with abusive relationships how hard it was to get that class through don't be afraid of that kind of stuff because these students because of the investment that the faculty here are going to change lives so invest in your faculty and your faculty will invest in your students and I think that's what a Christian liberal arts on a, uh, education really is all about. Mm -hmm.